Don't Call Me Girl Boss is an unfiltered perspective from women small business owners. I'm your host, Jessica Buck, and I have been a small business owner for six years and counting of Sunless Ray, which is a spray tan business. I have a location in Orange County, California, and I'm currently doing mobile spray tans in Austin, Texas. I have also started selling my own online Sunless products. In this podcast, I interview like-minded women business owners who have been through all the stages of owning a business or are just starting one. I hope the stories you hear in these interviews will help you become the best version of yourself. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to a bonus episode of Don't Call Me Girl Boss. The reason I wanted to do this episode so soon and kind of just like throw it in there is because the PPP loan is something that has been going on during COVID. It is a way for small business owners to get an advance that could be forgiven if you use it in the right way. So it technically could be free money to help support your business during COVID. When COVID was going on, I was posting about it on my Sunless Array Instagram account. I was trying to get other small business owners, specifically in the beauty industry, to apply for it, how I got it. I just shared as much information as possible. And why it is important right now is because I just started receiving emails from my bank on how we are going to get these loans forgiven. And a few months ago, I did a blog post on sunlessray.com with Edgy Solutions. They are an accounting firm in California, and they helped me answer all PPP loan questions via blog post. This was before I even had my podcast, but this is kind of what stemmed me into wanting a podcast in the first place is to inform business owners and help share stories and just give more to the women business community. And the PPP loan I'm very passionate about because I, the way that I see it, I am going to be getting it 100% forgiven and I'm excited to share my journey and a new one is possibly going through legislation. It's not passed yet, but there may be an opportunity for everyone to apply for a PPP loan again. I think it was if your profits were below 50% of the previous year is how it's going to go. But again, this is like literally all over the place, but... I hope if it does happen again, people will be more informed and are able to apply for this loan and just get some help during these crazy times. Like I've talked to other girls and they said, oh, well, you know, I had some savings, so I was fine. But you have to remember, millionaires are getting these loans right now because why not if you can get it completely forgiven? So it doesn't matter if you have the rainy day funds, if you can potentially get a forgiven loan from the government you should get it 100% every single time. So I got Edgy Solutions, the owner, Shauna, to come on. And she's going to go over the blog questions that we have live on my website right now. And also just answer more questions and a few just like business questions that I have that I know are super common in the business space. So I'm super excited to have her on and just that they're willing to even help small business owners as well. I have a friend who was able to get a small business loan last minute because of things that I shared on Sunless Ray. So I just really hope that you benefit from this. This helps you if another PPP loan comes along, you'll be more informed and know what you are able to get. 
And if you have more questions, I'm almost positive Edgy Solutions will always be there to help. And you can always DM me as well, and I will do my best to find the answers for you as well if you have more questions after this. But without further ado, here is Shauna with Edgy Solutions. I've been listening to your podcast, and it's really great to hear all the different interviews and the information that you're sharing because it's it's important. You know, small businesses, it's, you know, it's tough. Got to hustle. It is tough. And actually, the PPP loan is even what really started the Don't Call Me Girl Boss podcast is because that what got me involved talking to business owners during COVID. There was nothing else to do besides talk to other business owners. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's good and it's important and it's nice because they can, you know, they're people in your industry and they can relate to you, but even people outside your industry are getting really valuable information or people thinking about starting a business. So I agree. Well, thank you. And um, if you just want to introduce yourself and like the business that you have, what you offer and things like that. Sure. So um, I am the CEO of California-based Edgewood Business Solutions. It's a business consulting and bookkeeping firm founded in 2011 with the goal of developing long-lasting consultative relationships with our clients. And we really want small businesses to succeed by understanding their finances, the ability to take advantage of growth opportunities, and we work alongside their CPAs for tax planning strategies. So our main services are bookkeeping services and CFO services. Wow, that's impressive. And a space that I definitely don't like. So we definitely <laughs> need your business of the world. <laughs> um, so I know we could talk about your story. And I think we should do that on another podcast. So just like your business journey. But for this one, I wanted to specifically dive into the PPP loan and just really give information because I did get an alert from my bank who I got it from that forgiveness is starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And I was informed that under 50 K is still not exactly figured out yet, but above 50 K is for, for getting it forgiven. Correct. It's actually in both circumstances. They, the streamlined application for the 50 K most of the banks aren't ready for that yet, but you can still use the application for the next level, the up to 150 and be fine. So you could, even if you're under 50, you could still utilize the other form through your bank. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. My bank's like, we're holding off on this. Your payment's not due for 10 months anyway. So <laughs> leave us alone, basically. <laughs> yes. And some banks aren't even taking applications at all yet because there's the pending legislation. So they're waiting to see if there's going to be more of a blanket forgiveness. Have you seen any loan like this, like ever? No. This is the first time, definitely, and we've been doing this for 25 years, and there has been nothing like this. But it's really, it's really important, and I'm glad that they did something for small businesses because, as you know, it's been critical to some businesses' survival. Yeah, a hundred percent. Definitely got me through because you know a, my rent wasn't on halt in California. I still have my salon out there, and I still had to pay full price. So this loan was a lifeline for me during COVID. Well, it's still going on, but during quarantine, I guess I should say. Yeah, absolutely. And we really don't know what the future holds. So, you know, we encourage people, everyone that we could, you know, reach out to, we encourage them to apply for it. And we said, even if you think that you don't need it right now, we don't know what's going to happen in the next six months or a year and really kind of cash is king. So you are better off to apply for it, spend it as you know, they asked you to so that you could apply for forgiveness. And then if you ended up with some extra cash, again, 
we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if there is going to be another round of PPP. I mean, they're voting on it this week, but what if not? And what if, you know, you didn't get a PPP and now you're really hurting, it's hard to get credit. So really, you know, taking advantage of all of these programs was really important. Why do you think there was some business owners, as I've spoken to them, who didn't apply? Like, do you think they were just not informed or... I think that there was um, um, multiple multiple reasons. Um, some of them, they weren't informed or they didn't understand it. I mean, there was a lot of information. It was changing all of the time. It was like, you can get this and it's 75% um, needs to be payroll and 25% can be other things. And then it changed. And then it was scary because it's like a loan, right? And if you thought, well, maybe I won't achieve forgiveness, people were scared that they were going to end up with a loan. And also they didn't know if they were going to meet the criteria or they maybe even tried to apply through their bank, which was maybe a Wells Fargo or Bank of America, and they didn't hear anything. And they didn't really have someone that they could connect with to get them through the process or really understand what was going on. So I think there was just, unfortunately, so many changes. It was so fluid. And then just being nervous about, gosh, is this a loan? Is it forgiven? What's happening? Um, I think people were scared. Yeah, it's sad because, you know, they were like, oh, well, I had, I heard I had a rainy day fund, so I didn't really need the money, but millionaires applied for this loan. Like this, you know, people <laughs> who have tons of money still utilize this loan. Yeah. I mean, again, and- it was, it's, there's so much uncertainty. We said we had some businesses who definitely critically needed it and they're high touch um, businesses. So like dance studios and we had other clients who, you know, they did have a rating day fund, but again, we were telling them, you know, in this time, we just, we can't foresee what's going to happen in the winter time. Is it going to get worse? Like they're saying, maybe it will, maybe it won't. We just don't know. So please, you know, get the money as soon as you can. And again, hang on to, if you have excess funds, just hang on to it because there might be another wave and there might not be more funding. Yeah. I remember when I first applied, I applied through Chase. That's who I bank with. And I didn't hear anything from them and I was getting nervous. So I found a smaller bank. My dad owns a small business as well. And his friend told him he owns a bank, apply here. And that's the bank that I went through. And it was a tiny bank in California. Like it's called Community Commerce Bank. Mm -hmm. And I honestly bugged them until they would get me a loan. I called them and called them and probably bothered them to the point where they were like, okay, let's just get this lady done. So she stops calling. Persistence pays off. So that's good. (laughs) <laughs> but it's true but that's what it's... I had to go through like that is it, it was terrible and that would have scared off you know people who didn't necessarily need it need it but for me I needed it so there was no other option but that procedure well, was just hard and stressful I mean I would encourage your listeners right now because there is you know again pending legislation for another round of PPP if they are at a big bank big banks have gotten a little bit better on some of the processes but we saw that even some some of our clients that are multi-million dollar revenue clients that they didn't help them. They didn't have a personal banker. They didn't have someone they could reach out to. And when we did try to get a hold of someone, it was like crickets. So we, we would encourage our listeners if they have like a Wells Fargo, Bank of America, just, you know, create an opportunity for yourself, go find a community bank, put a hundred dollars in there, meet the bank manager because you want to be ready to have options if this comes out again and you apply through Wells Fargo and you get crickets. 
you know, so we actually leveraged a lot of our banking relationships that we have at small community banks for those clients that had a Wells Fargo or had um, Bank of the West even, you know, we were really surprised that this client that we had with them, like, again, got some information back and forth and then nothing. And so we went to the community bank and we said, will you please take these like 10 clients that we have that have these other banks? They will, they want a banking relationship. They understand the importance. And we were able to successfully get that through this small community bank. But I would say that this would be like number one tip is go open a small account at a community bank and introduce yourself to the manager because you want to have options if the second round of funding comes through. Um, even if you already received a PPP, um, you just never know. I think this is like a super critical tip. That is a critical tip. I know with community commerce who I went through, they didn't make me have a bank relationship. I am not sure why. But so if someone wants to use that, I would. you can check out Community Commerce Bank. They helped me. But yeah, like you said, I think um, in our questions, you put Bluevine, Veeam, Fundera as some of the people that you can reach out to. Yeah, so there are some, you know, fintech companies out there, even Cabbage, they used to be like a lending um, company, and they switched their whole business to giving PPP loans and stopped their lending service. So there are some way, some companies you can um, apply with just online without having any other banking relationship as a backup. So if you, again, if you're um, a larger bank customer, hopefully you get taken care of, and hopefully they've done the right things to accommodate that but again create opportunity for yourself by you know setting up an account with cabbage um or at a at a local bank or going through the bank that you recommended yeah that's so important and like you said taking those steps right now because that could be passed and i feel like it probably will it seems like i don't think either side has complained about that part of the new bill we were so close earlier this week. It needed 60 votes to pass and it was at 57. So they said that they're going to try again. So they anticipated oh, wow. possibly later this week or early next week trying to pass the second round of PPP uh, again, because there's still money in the fund. Um, some companies, as you mentioned, some large uh, multi-million dollar companies gave their money back and there was still unused funds. So there is money available and we're just hoping that they pass it so that the businesses who need it can get it. There's supposed to be some new guidelines for it. Like um, instead of 500 employees or less, it would be 300 employees or less. And also if you show a drop in revenue, you can get the second round of PPP. So if you've already received one and then you can prove you had 50% less income this year versus last year, you can get a second round of PPP. Yeah. Well, that's so important. And I just can't stress it enough. Everyone needs to apply. And I hope this podcast brings some light to that. And the people are really taking in what you have to say. But how is the PPP loan um, calculated? So how do they do that? So they calculate it, it by two and a half times people's monthly payroll costs. Um, so you would just take your annual payroll, divide it by 12 times 2.5. Um, and also it was calculated for if you're a sole proprietor, you would have a schedule C and there's a line 31 for your net income. And you would divide that by 12 times 2.5. But the important thing to remember is that there were limits for wages over 100,000. So if you had net income of 150,000, you could only calculate your amount based on that $100,000 limit. Okay. 
But the nice thing is, is most of the banks have like a spreadsheet that they would send you or the fintech companies have like a wizard to go through. So it makes it really easy to do those calculations. Like no one has to stress if they like hate math and they're like, oh my, oh my gosh, I hate this. Um, they make it really easy to go through those. And the banks also double check their typically the banks we've worked with are typically double checking your amounts to make sure before you send it to SBA that the amount is accurate. Not all banks do, and the responsibility is still on you to make sure your calculation is correct. But if you're working with a local bank, they'll usually go through your paperwork with you and just make sure everything is in line. Yeah. I remember I had to file my taxes. So it was through my tax sheet that I did it. And then they just figured out the math on that. It was right before taxes were due. Uh-huh. And that's how I had to get mine. And I'm self-employed. So that's how I did mine. And I feel like a lot of people don't even know that if you're self-employed, you can get the loan. Or even if you're a 1099 employee, if you're just a contractor. Yes. So if you file a Schedule C with your 1040, um, and if you look through your taxes, if you're a sole proprietor, you can absolutely still file, whether you have employees or no employees. Some people are still a Schedule C and have employees. And so you would be able to calculate the wages and your self-employment income. Yeah. And then, okay, this is the number one question. How do you qualify for 100% forgiveness? And do you think it's obtainable? So I absolutely think it's obtainable if you have spent it in the way that you had proposed on, you know, your original application. But even now it's better because if you unfortunately had to say, um, lay some people off, they have changed the guidelines so that it's easier to obtain forgiveness if you had some issues with that. Um, at least 60% of the funds must have been used for payroll costs and the other 40% could be used in things like rent and utilities and healthcare benefits. But um, again, with the extended period going from eight weeks to 24 weeks, it was a lot more achievable for people to, you know, get the forgiveness amount um, because when it was eight weeks and people were shelter in place, it's like you had to make a decision on if you were paying your employees while they weren't working, what were you going to do? And now that it's 24 weeks, it's a little easier to qualify even just on payroll. So a lot of our clients are just qualifying based on payroll or their self-employment income without a lot of paperwork. I would say most people are going to be able to qualify again for that forgiveness. The only thing right now that's still on the table that's really important for people to remember is if they applied for the EIDL loan, which was the SBA emergency disaster loan, if they got a grant, because there was an option to do that, if they got a grant, they can't double dip. So SBA currently says, if we gave you a grant, and let's just call it $2,000, $2,000 now of your PPP is not forgivable because we're not gonna give you the grant and give you PPP. And that's been a little um, muddy you know, yeah. muddies the waters a, l- a little bit because people can still end up with a loan based on that amount that they've received on the grant. So say so, I received, <clears throat> I got the EIDL as well. So how does that work to, in regards to forgiveness? So did you get an EIDL and a grant? Yeah, I got a thousand dollars. there's two components. Yes. So now a thousand of your PPP will not be forgivable at this time. Again, there's kind of pending legislation 
but you can expect that a thousand dollars will not be forgiven and it will now be a loan at five years oh, okay. repayment terms with one percent interest but the catch with that was like okay ppp had to be spent a certain way had to be you know wages rent utilities where the grant can be spent on operations. If you need to buy more inventory, you could. There was no restrictions with the grant. Well, my thought process is is the loans percentage was so low that I'm like, okay, well, I'll never get a business loan at 1%. I might as well just apply for everything I can and at (laughs) least get my business in a better position than it was prior to COVID. I mean, that was my thought process. Absolutely. And even the EIDL on the SBA.gov website, the EIDL is still open where people can apply for a loan. Now, those are loans. They are not forgivable. But again, we've encouraged people that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long the funding is going to last. The application is super easy. I mean, literally takes 15 minutes. And, you know, if you get the money, you can park it. And then if you need it, you have it. But we always say it's like the worst thing during like any kind of economic situation is to not have some kind of cash because cash is really king. Like credit starts, um, banks start kind of like squeezing their credit lines or dropping the limits, or it's really hard to get new credit. So, you know, we just want to be mindful of that. But I would say just keep in mind that the EIDL is a loan. It is not forgivable where the PPP is forgivable as long as you qualify for that forgiveness. And the EIDL is like a 30-year loan or something, I believe, right? Yes, correct. At 1%. And payments don't start. Um, their percentage or a three is point, a little bit isn't higher. It three or some three point something, right? I can't even remember yeah, what I... It's still... Sig- It's still significantly lower than a normal loan. And again, I mean, it's 30 years and, you know, you can, there's no prepayment penalty. So as soon as you want to pay that loan back, you can, and the, they're deferring the loan payments till like mid 2021. Wow. Yeah. I just think these loans are a great way to, I want to open a salon in Austin, Texas. That was my goal. So I was like, okay, next year, I'll put this money aside and have, you know, a little bit of a loan, possibly not have everything forgiven with my PPP, but I'll have a really low interest loan that I would have never been able to qualify through a normal situation. Right. There are some restrictions that everyone will just want to be aware of when they're looking through the loan documents for the EIDL. There are some things like if you get a loan over 25, I believe it's $25,000, that then they would have the right to claim your assets if you didn't repay the loan. Um, Under that amount is not, there's no personal guarantee with that. And then they do restrict where you're not supposed to like sell off assets without notifying them. And um, you just want to be aware of what those are. Yeah. And generally, like, if you're expanding your business, you have to be careful just to stay within the guidelines of their of their loan restrictions. Okay, that's good to know. And when do you start paying the unforgiven portion? They just pushed it out, I believe, right? Yes, I would have to look at the new guidelines because they've just recently changed. But um Typically, it's going to be after there's a determination on your forgiveness is when they would establish when your payment would be due. So right now, they're saying that the bank has 60 days to, once you um, turn in your forgiveness application, the bank has 60 days to review it. And then it goes to SBA and SBA has 90 days to make a determination. So you're really kind of looking at five months before you have an answer on your forgiveness. Wow. But I would say I don't want people to like stress, stress out about it because 
if you've spent the money. And again, your bank is going to look at it before they submit it to SBA because that's how they get paid. So they're really incentivized to make sure all of your ducks are in a row before they send it to SBA. Um, so I would say if your bank gives it the stamp of approval, you can pretty much count on your uh, forgiveness. Yeah. Um, is Do you just get like a million questions a day with your clients? Like what is going on now? <laughs> we do. And we, um, we try to put out a newsletter that's proactive communication, but it is hard because if you're watching the news again, there's all these things that are happening and um, people get, again, they get nervous because it's like, okay, I have this loan out there and it's a loan, you know, am I going to get it forgiven? I don't want to pay this. Or, you know, the, the topic right now is, is it taxed? Right. And that's been a real big thing for people because it's like, okay, it's forgiven, but now I have to pay taxes on it. But what we're encouraging people on is that, um, again, pending legislation, we'll see how it all works. The government said, okay, it's not income, which is great. But then they said, oh, if you get the loan forgiven, what you used for the expenses to get the loan forgiven, so let's just say wages, now you can't take off of your um, expenses for tax purposes. Well, essentially it's like being taxed. But what we said is, okay, worst case scenario, you do get some taxes on this money. It's going to be at your taxable rate and you still got free money. Yeah. I mean, in the end, you still got a large portion of free money, but the organization that's called the AICPA for CPAs, they're really pushing to say, hey, you're trying to help people and now you're going to tax them on this money. Like that's really not fair. So we'll probably see something happen in the next few mon months regarding that tax, but I would not let um, this discourage anyone. It's still, you know, essentially free money to help your business survive. Yeah. If I have to pay a little bit of money at the end, after I hopefully made up some money throughout that year, it's still worth it. You know, anything to get you through that hard time. Yeah. I mean, if say, let's say someone got $20,000 and now they had to pay $2,000 tax on it. I mean, you still got $18,000. So you definitely would not want to not apply because you would have to pay 2000, right? Because your gain was 18. So mm -hmm. we really want people to apply and just, you know, keep in mind if it is going to be taxable, it's, you know, it's a small amount compared to what you're receiving in return. Do you think legislation could be like, okay, let's just forgive everyone's PPP loans and let's just not do a new round of PPP loans? Do you think that could be a thing? I think um, they could, but I still think that they are going to do another round. Like I'm hopeful I'm like in the 90% of um, an additional PPP because there's still money left. I think that everybody is still pushing for easier forgiveness where people just have to check the boxes to say certify spent this money in the right way and not have to include all the paperwork. Um, but I do think that they're right now, you know, they were talking 150 originally, and then they were saying it was 50,000 that they would do that for. And now it's kind of wait and see, but the SBA can, is going to have a hard time handling all the volume of the forgiveness because there was a lot of loans under 150,000. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that there will be an additional round of PPP because there is still money um, available. And I think they're just going to put some new rules on it. And then um, you kind of touched on it a tiny bit. How should I be keeping record? What paperwork are they going to be looking for with the forgiveness? So if you're a sole proprietor, they're going to be looking for your 2019 Schedule C. And hopefully everyone has filed that. But if you haven't, I would encourage you to get things in order and get that filed. Um, and then if you 
paid wages, and that's what you based your PPP on, you would want to have your payroll records. So a payroll register, they're probably going to ask for your quarterly tax returns on for payroll, like a 941. Um, and if you use a payroll service, you know, ADP has a really great um, PPP forgiveness report that you can generate. So it makes it really easy. So I would say those are the main things. If you're using um, the 40%, like rent, utilities, they're going to want to probably see a bank statement showing that that money came out. And the thing is, even if your bank doesn't require this information from you, um, if the rules change, you still need to have documentation because they have six, they have six years that they can go back and ask you for that data. So you just want to make sure that you keep your records in good order. Okay. And this is a big one that I was even confused on, but I needed the loan so bad that I just went for it. But can you be on unemployment and receive a PPP loan? I hope that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can because the covered period, you know, was the 24 weeks. This has been like um, a topic amongst like accounting people all over the states because every state is different. And so you want to kind of be careful to not double dip. Again, if you're just a sole proprietor and you don't have any um, payroll to qualify, um, like other employees, you just want to be careful to not double dip um, because it's the extended period, you should be fine. But that would be the only caveat there is if you were getting a PPP saying you were paying yourself, but then the government's also paying you unemployment, it could get a little sticky. But again, with the 24 week period and then that reduction in the federal unemployment, most people are going to be fine you know, you aren't going to have too much of a crossover. Yeah, I remember in the beginning that people were saying that if you got that, you can't get the PPP. And I think that might have started people away too, because they were nervous of how that would even work. But it's like all these things are changing. And you just can't predict what even is going to happen now. I agree. And again, it was um, when the PPP first came out, it was eight weeks, people were scrambling to like, how am I going to pay everybody for shelter in place? And it's unfortunate that the 24-week covered period didn't come out until later where some people had already, you know, ended that period. But again, like you said, I think people were not applying because it's confusing. You know, it's confusing and it's scary and it's called a loan. And so um, I think that, you know, made people nervous. But I would say if you have a CPA that you work with or a bookkeeping firm and people like you or people want to reach out to us with some questions, we're happy to answer those. We want we want to encourage your listeners with the next round of PPP, please apply. You know, please apply if you have questions, please reach out. Like we're happy. Um, Katie on my team is well versed in the PPP and also happy to answer questions because we really want small businesses to succeed. Yeah, definitely. Um is there any more information you can share about someone who's thinking about applying for the PPP? So the new one's coming out. They should build a relationship with a smaller bank. What other things should they, like what other ducks can they get in a row? So when that opens up, they're ready to go. You definitely want to have your bookkeeping in order because if the part of the criteria is to prove that you had 50% reduction for a certain period this year versus last year, you would want to have your bookkeeping up to date so that you could show that information. Um, I would say that would be probably the next critical step in, in applying. If you're self-employed, so how would up, you show that? Because it's mm-hmm. like you do your taxes and that's how it shows. They're just going to look at your records, like how I would keep it in whatever system I'm using. 
yeah, they're probably going to ask you for your profit and loss year to date or your bank records showing what your income is. Um, but your profit and loss, I'm sure that they would ask for that through, you know, year to date or whatever period they're going to ask for the criteria, but they would ask for a profit and loss because you're right. You can't file a 2020 uh, Schedule C right now because the year isn't mm -hmm. over, but you would want to show the profit and loss or for sole proprietors, maybe they'll, you know, again, we just don't know. They might still just take your 2019 and estimate it's going to be, you know, you just probably have to check a box saying that your revenue was lower this year than last year. Clearly, if you got an employment, you know, uh, you weren't going to make as much money, mm -hmm. but it's really to be seen on what criteria will come out with that. But I would say a profit and loss, um, even if you're a sole proprietor, having that in mind would be important. Okay, that's good to know. And is there any other good things that you can bring up about the PPP loan or any frequently questions that you get or anything like that? I think it's um, mainly the, you know, the questions that you asked is, you know, what paperwork do I need? Do you think I will qualify? And, um, you know, will it be, will it be forgiven? And is there anything else that they need to know? And that would be that uh, EIDG, that that portion, if you got the grant um, from the EID alone, that they, that may not be forgiven. So you may end up with a loan at the end. I think that would be important for people to know. Yeah. That's something I didn't know until you brought up. And that's a very important point. And that's something I need to think about. I mean, it's not a big one. It's, I got a thousand dollars in the grant, so it's fine, but it's something to think about and budget <laughs> and make sure you have that in your account. Yes. And again, I mean, the situation is still fluid, so they may say, okay, we're going to let you have both. I mean, that's been on the table. I just don't know what will end up passing. But for now, to prepare yourself that you may have that loan. I mean, luckily, it's low interest and a, a good payback period, but, you know, it's still that portion could be a loan. Yeah. And then I kind of wanted to take it off topic, just um, some like business questions that I get asked or that I have no expertise on. And it's just I'm sure you get this all the time. It's like the number one question, sole proprietorship versus LLC versus incorporated versus DBA. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot of questions regarding business structure. And I think it's important to know if you're a sole proprietor, you know, what's the time you would want to consider upgrading to an LLC? Because whenever you have like an LLC, you do pay a minimum tax or even an S-Corp. $800 per year is the minimum tax you are always going to pay, whether you have a loss or you have... And that's in California, like, right? 800 is the minimum. That's in California, yes. Thank you for clarifying that. So we generally see like across the board, if you're a sole proprietor, if you're making 40000 or more in net income, so that would be that line 31 on your Schedule C... Um, you would want to consider moving to a corporation. And this is because you have self-employment taxes taken on all the net profits of your business. So if you're a sole proprietor, so on your Schedule C, if that's $100,000, you're probably overpaying in self-employment taxes where you could open a corporation, um, an LLC, and you could pay yourself, which is a requirement, you need to pay yourself a reasonable wage if you're making a profit, and then the rest you can take out as distribution. And what you take out as distribution, you're saving that Social Security and Medicare tax. So we generally say if you're a sole proprietor and your net income on that line 31 is looking to be over $40,000, you may want to consider moving to an LLC. Now, here's the fun part on all these structures. Is an LLC 
you can open an LLC if you're worried about liability and still kind of be like a Schedule C filer with the protection of a corporation. But as soon as you're going to hit that over that $40,000, you can ask your CPA to file the form to make the what they call the S-Corp election, which then changes you from the Schedule C over to an S-Corp so you can take those distributions. I know there's a lot of like a lot happening there. But essentially, if you are a sole proprietor and you anticipate that you're kind of on the edge of that, I would open an LLC and then wait to see how your year is turning out and say, it's a $30,000 a year. You just kind of stay where you're at. But the next year, maybe you're 60000 So then you want to talk to your CPA. They can file that election for you and backdate it. So that way you, again, won't overpay yourself and self, I'm sorry, you will not overpay taxes with that self-employment tax. So that's the benefit there. If you're a sole proprietor, um, the other reason to have a corporation, an LLC or an S-Corp is for liability if you have assets. So if you own a home, if you own other businesses, rentals, whatever, um, you just don't want to, if something happens and you're sued, you don't want people to get all of your assets. So you have some protection when you're in a corporation versus just being a sole proprietor. Now, the thing is, if you're a sole proprietor right now and you're worried about it, just make sure you have adequate insurance that would cover any type of lawsuit. Okay. And then say you are just to get a DBA, you're just starting out. How does that, that's okay, right? It, to get a DBA? Yeah, that's just like, and then you file as self-employed. Yes. So it's totally okay to have a DBA. It's very common. And you can even use a DBA, whether you're a sole proprietor or you have a corporation. And the circumstance that would happen is possibly you've set up a corporation to be Buck Enterprises Incorporated. And maybe you have a few businesses that you're going to have underneath that corporation. So maybe you have a DBA called Sunless Ray, which might be your physical location. And then maybe you have a DBA called Sunless Ray Consulting, and that's where you sell your consulting services. You can have one corporation that has multiple DBAs. Oh, wow. That's so confusing. (laughs) I know. know. Well, it's really good. If If you feel that you're at that point, my recommendation would be to talk to a professional. A lot of people, like, I'm not knocking LegalZoom, but you just want to make sure that you follow things all the way through with like a rocket lawyer or a legal zoom, because what happens a lot of times is people will go in to do like a self-service and they don't really know what they need and they're kind of going through it. But if you miss, if you set up a corporation and you miss setting that S corp election, that will hurt you. So if you go to set up a corporation and you don't elect that you would be what's called a C corporation and then you could get double taxed. So I would encourage um, a lot of, and I can give you some resources to post as well, but there are a lot of attorneys that don't really charge, you know, they're not going to charge $5,000 to set up a corporation. They're actually very reasonable and you will be glad you did because you don't want to pay for this twice. If you need to set up a corporation, you really want to make sure that you're um, giving all the information and setting it up right in the beginning because it's really hard to undo and, and expensive to fix. So I would say like normally your CPA, they can advise you or give you a referral to an attorney or if your listeners are like, hey, I want to I want to set up a corporation um, who are some of your trusted resources. We're happy to share that with your listeners. Yeah, I would love to share that. I think that's important. I've gone to random people before and 
I've had an experience with kind of like, I don't know the right term for it, but like slimy tax people, (laughs) uh, lawyers who I don't really know if they really care. They're just telling me things, you know, so it's hard to know. I feel like you do need some education on your own part and then also hire someone so they can do the actual actual logistics of it. But I need some kind of idea in my head, too. Absolutely. And I think people with any of your relationships, your collaborative relationships, like your CPA, your bookkeeper, your attorney, you want people that you feel comfortable communicating to and that you can ask questions and they don't make you feel um, like they don't demean you because you have your area of specialty and they have theirs. And it's our job to always collaborate on educating, you know, our clients on what's happening with their finances. Like we don't expect people to know all the answers. That's, that's what we do. Right. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that you are comfortable communicating to them in a manner that you can tell them anything. And, you know, they're going to come back with ideas for you or make sure that you're protected. Um, You know, your assets are protected, your company is set up properly you have the right tax strategies, you really want to feel comfortable with with these important people in your business. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm excited to see you share some people over and I'll make sure to share it with the audience as well on probably on Instagram so that they have the resources as well and also have you as a resource to be able if they don't want to do their own accounting. I mean, okay, that's a good question. And I know we were going to talk about that. How do you do your books yourself? And when do you get to the point where like, I'm just going to hire someone? When do you see that pivot with the business? I think we usually see people pivot with the business when they unfortunately get behind and they're stressed out and they're like, I just hands are up. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, And a lot of times when they've come home late at night and they have young children and then they're trying to do their bookkeeping and they're just frustrated. That's usually um, some of the, the reasons why, or they've just grown significantly and, and they feel like they need to have more answers, but people could absolutely do the books themselves. We actually um, have a, there's a resource on YouTube, a CPA called Hector Garcia, and he does a lot of QuickBooks training and it's free training. And he is like, I've watched him for a long time and he does give the right information. Cause again, you have to really watch, you know, who's giving the advice on training on things like QuickBooks and so forth. But there's a lot of um, training even inside QuickBooks to help you with your books. And um, but I would still encourage you, even if you're doing your own and you're educating yourself on doing that, is at some point just to, um, again, have your CPA give a look and make sure you do this before your end. So this would be super important tip. I see a lot of businesses that will come to us after they've had some issues And usually probably most of your listeners are cash basis filers. And you can see that on your actual return on your Schedule C or on your corporation return, how you're filing, whether it's cash or accrual. But in cash basis, it's really important because your revenue is recognized when you put it in the bank and your expenses are recognized when you pay them. And so sometimes we see that people will have high revenue and if they just would have paid a bill, on 1231 versus 11, they could have saved themselves in taxes. And it was just a few days difference of when they could have paid this bill. Um, so I would say if you're, yeah, if, um, if your listeners would talk to their CPA before tax time, you know, at year end, everybody, 
everybody's busy, but I would get on the calendar of your CPA, just say, can you have a look at my books? Is there anything I should be doing before the end of the year that would benefit me? Because again, you don't want to miss something that's going to have you pay more taxes just because you miss paying a bill that you could have paid, you know, a little early. And also I think one tip that, um, most people don't know, but I want to share it for sure, is if you are cash basis and you use a credit card, even if you haven't paid your credit card card bill, but you've made that charge at the end of the year, it's deductible. So if I needed a computer, but I was like worried about giving up my cash, I could charge it on that credit card and it still counts as that year's deduction, even though I haven't paid my AMX bill say, oh, wow. until January of the following year. I didn't year. know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big one, you know, because you really... Timing is everything in cash basis, and that can hurt a lot of people. Yeah, this is such a great information. Um, is there anything else you can share with maybe a new small business owner, a one who's been in business for a while? Just any good tips? You've already given so many, but is there any others that you want to leave off with? I would definitely say um, try to keep up with your books. Again, if, if it's unpleasant for you, try to create a reward system. Um, and I would say that it's not as expensive as you think. And a lot of people will give you a quote on doing your books if you wanted, if it's just something you don't love and your time is better spent in your, you know, business growth or obtaining new clients or spending that time with your kids. Um, sometimes there are people that can do your bookkeeping for less than a hundred dollars a month. And if you think, you know, um, that's a, a minimal amount compared to the time that you need to either spend in your business or with your family. But it's really creating that structure um, for yourself early on. Or if you've been in business a long time and you and you know that it's something that you really dislike, I would try to allocate some money to having someone do your books so that you just take that stress off of yourself and you can focus really on the important things in your business instead of like that pile of paperwork that you hate doing that you're just going to put off. Because messy books are costly. Um, because sometimes it ha it costs more to have your taxes done and you may miss out on opportunities for grants, loans, you know, again, tax strategies. And you, know, you just want to, again, if you're going to do it yourself, totally doable, just educate yourself on some of that training and make sure that if you hate doing it, that you create some kind of incentive for yourself so that you encourage yourself to get it done because it is important for you as you grow. Yeah, it is definitely the worst things in my business. I hate doing it, but it's just something you have to do. Oh, I dread yeah, it. Can I share I've, one more tip? Please, please to share whatever. <laughs> okay. I was going to say one more tip that I would encourage people on is um, there was new legislation that you can't um, deduct entertainment. Meals and entertainment was always 50%. So if you spent $100 during the year on meals and entertainment, you would only be able to deduct $50 on your taxes. And you still wanted to add that because you got some benefit, but then they said, and entertainment would be like, you bought um, tickets to a football game and you took your clients. Like they're saying, okay, that's not deductible anymore. Oh, wow. Is this in California um, or is this? This is federal as well. Oh, wow. So, so the other me? thing okay. is yeah. that, yes, sorry. The other thing is that, so meals, there are meals that are 100% deductible. And this is where I think people miss out because if you put everything into just the meals category, your CPA or when you do your taxes, even if you're doing through TurboTax and they, it's like, what was meals? When you put that dollar amount in, they're going to take half of it. 
But if you're meeting with your team and you're having a team meeting at your office or at your house, you know, whatever, um, that's 100% deductible. And so you could put that into a category called meals 100%. So you could make sure that you received 100% of the deduction versus that 50%. So the if difference go- is in the, in the actual work atmosphere versus outside of the workplace? Yeah. So if you and I went to have coffee, that would be 50% deductible. Okay. But if you went and had coffee and it was a team meeting, that would be 100% deductible. Oh, wow. So many So things. just want to make sure you... Yeah, I know that you categorize it that way so that you can get that benefit. But again, a lot of people miss out because some people, they do a lot of team meetings or they'll have pizza in for a, you know, holiday party or whatever. And your holiday parties, if you have a Christmas party, which a lot of businesses do, um, that's also deductible. So at 100% if you're having a team holiday party. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Is there any others that you wanted to share? Mm, There's so many. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I would just, you know, like I said, I would just encourage people to try to keep up with their bookkeeping because that gives them opportunities and really try to meet with your CPA tax preparer before the end of the year so that you know what needs to be done and you can make decisions before it's too late. If you go in with your paperwork you know, in February and you're like, okay, file my taxes, again, if you're cash basis, there's nothing you can do at that point. Like it's too late. So um, you don't want to just have a once a year appointment with your tax preparer or CPA. You want to actually have it a minimum twice per year. And that would be at least, you know, once during tax time. And again, at the end of the year. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this. This is such great information. And I'm just really thankful that you came on and shared this. I think this is going to be a very powerful episode and I hope people listen and learn And if they have more questions, they reach out to your firm. Absolutely. Thank you again for having this today. We're advocates for small business and we really want to spread the word on, you know, helping and small businesses are critical. Yes, I agree. And, you know, maybe we'll have to have you on again if this PPP loan completely changes and we have a new one or who knows what's going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Well, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thank you. You as well. Bye. So that was our second guest, Danielle. I hope you really enjoyed it and got some awesome takeaways and just learned something that you can apply to your life today. Um, I have another interview every Sunday and I'm super excited for our next guest. And if you enjoyed this, just please subscribe and leave me a review and follow us on Instagram at don't call me girl boss. And thank you again for listening. (laughs) 